Preface and Introduction to Gloriana, or The Revolution of 1900, by Lady Florence Dixie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Nelson. Gloriana, or The Revolution of 1900. Preface. Thus we were told in words divine that there were truths men could not bear, e'en from the lips of Christ to hear. These have now slowly been unfurled, but still to a reluctant world. Prophets will yet arise to teach truths which the schoolmen fail to reach, which priestly doctrine still would hide, and worldly votaries deride, and statesmen fain would set aside. I make no apology for this preface. It may be unusual, but then the book it deals with is unusual. There is but one object in Gloriana. It is to speak of evils which do exist, to study facts which it is a crime to neglect, to sketch an artificial position, the creation of laws false to nature, unparalleled for injustice and hardship. Many critics, like the rest of humanity, are apt to be unfair. They take up a book, and when they find that it does not accord with their sentiments, they attempt to wreck it by ridicule and petty, spiteful criticism. They forget to ask themselves, why is this book written? They altogether omit to go to the root of the author's purpose. And the result is that false testimony is often borne against principles, which, though drastic, are pure, which, though sharp as the surgeon's knife, are yet humane for it is genuine sympathy with humanity that arouses them. There is no romance worth reading which has not the solid foundation of truth to support it. There is no excuse for the existence of romance unless it fixes thought on that truth which underlies it. Gloriana may be a romance, a dream, but in the first instance it is inextricably interwoven with truth, in the second instance dreams the work of the brain are species of thought and thought is an attribute of God. Therefore it is God's creation. There may be some who, reading Gloriana, will feel shocked and be apt to misjudge the author. There are others who will understand, appreciate, and sympathize. There are yet others who, hating truth, will receive it with jibes and sneers. There are many who, delighting in the evil which it fain would banish, will resent it as an unpardonable attempt against their liberties. An onslaught on public opinion is very like leading a forlorn hope. The leader knows full well that death lies in the breach, yet that leader knows also that great results may spring from the death which is therefore readily sought and faced. Gloriana pleads woman's cause, pleads for her freedom, for the just acknowledgment of her rights. It pleads that her equal humanity with man shall be recognized, and therefore that her claim to share what he has arrogated to himself shall be considered. Gloriana pleads that, in woman's degradation, man shall no longer be debased, that in her elevation he shall be upraised and ennobled. The reader of its pages will observe the author's conviction, everywhere expressed, that nature ordains the close companionship, not division of the sexes and that it is opposition to nature which produces jealousy, intrigue, and unhealthy rivalry. Gloriana is written with no antagonism to man. Just the contrary. 
the author's best and truest friends, with few exceptions, have been and are men. But the author will never recognize man's glory and welfare in woman's degradation. And hark, a voice with accents clear is raised, which all are forced to hear. Tis woman's voice, for ages hushed, pleading the cause of woman crushed, pleading the cause of purity, of freedom, honor, equity. Of all the lost and the forlorn, of all for whom the Christ was born. If, therefore, the following story should help men to be generous and just, should awaken the sluggards amongst women to a sense of their position, and should thus lead to a rapid revolution, it will not have been written in vain. The Author Introduction to Gloriana, or A Dream of the Revolution of 1900 A rose-red sunset, mingling its radiance with the purple heath, flooding the silver lake with bluish light, dyeing the ocean gray a crimson hue, streaking the paling sky with rosy shafts, clinging to nature with a lingering kiss, ere it shall vanish from a drowsy earth. To rouse in new-decked cloak of shining gold a waking world far o'er the ocean's wave. Maremna sleeps, close cushioned in the heather's warm embrace. The rose-red sunset plays around her form, a grateful, girlish figure, lithe and fair, small, slim, yet firmly knit with nature's power, unfettered nature, which will not be bound by fashion's prison rules and cultured laws. Maremna sleeps. One rosy cheek lies pillowed on her hand, and through her waving, wandering auburn curls the zephyr cupids frolic merrily, tossing them to and fro upon her brow in sportive play. It is a brow of thought, endowed by God and nature, though, alas, held in paralysis by selfish laws, which strive to steal a fair inheritance and bid the woman bow the knee to man. Maremna sleeps. The white lids veil the large, gray, lustrous eyes, the auburn lashes sweep the sunlit cheeks, yet they are wet and cling to the soft skin whereon the damp of tears is glazing fast. Maremna's sleep is not the sleep of rest, for ever and anon the blood-red lips unclose and strive to speak, but yet remain silent and speechless, tied by some dread force which intervenes denying to the brain that comfort which the power of speech doth bring. Who is Maremna? A noble's child, reared amidst nature's scenes, her earliest friends. They guided her first steps, speaking of God and his stupendous works leave ere religion's dogma intervened. Child of a chieftain, o'er whose broad domain she roamed, a happy, free, unfettered waif, loving the mountain crag and the forest lone the straths and quarries, rugged glens and haunts of the red deer and dove-like ptarmigan, loving the language of the torrent's roar, or the rough river's wild bespated rush, loving the dark pine woods amidst whose glades the timid roe hides from the gaze of man, loving the great gray ocean's varying face, now calm, now rugged, rising into storm, anon so peaceful, so serene and still, when passion's fury sinks beneath the wave. Maremna sleeps. Amidst the scenes that reared her early years, yet is Maremna now no more a child, nor guileless with the innocence of youth. Hers it has been to roam God's mighty world, and learn the ways and woeful deeds of men, 
and, weary with her world-wide pilgrimage, Maremna's steps have sought her early haunts, hoping for rest where childhood once did play. Rest for Maremna! An idle thought, a foolish sentiment! Unto the brain which God has bidden think, no rest can come from solitude's retreat. For solitude breeds thought, and shapes its course, and bids it live within the form of speech, or bids the mighty pen proclaim its life, and write its words upon the scrolls of men. Thus with Maremna. Rest she has sought, but sought it all in vain. What God decrees, no mortal hand can stay. Think, he ordains, and lo, the brain must think, nor close its eyes upon the mammoth truth. Truth must prevail. Truth must be held aloft. What matter if the cold world sneers or scoffs? Sneering and scoffing is the work of man, truth the almighty handiwork of God. It may be dimmed, it may be blurred from sight, yet must it triumph in the end and win. For is it not truth a sun which cannot die, though unbelief may cloud it for a time? Marimna sleeps. Sleeps where in childhood oft she lay and dreamed, dreamed of fantastic worlds and fairy realms, and now in sleep Maremna dreams again, but dreams no more of elves and laughing sprites. Hers, though a dream, is stern reality, mingled with visions of a future day. Hers is a dream of hideous living wrong, wrong which tis woman's duty to proclaim and man's to write, and write right speedily or crush the form of justice underfoot. Maremna sleeps, and in her dream a vision fills her brain. This is Maremna's dream. End of Introduction <laughs>